you're very welcome to Wade In as we look back on the weekend just gone. Plenty to pick apart on the track itself, plus the greatest recoupling since Love Island was born as Frankie and John hold hands once again. Whoever said romance at the race course was dead was having a laugh. And Tony Calvin, I did think to myself, if John and Frankie can reunite, surely yourself and Dave Yates can kiss and make up and walk off into the sunset and be best pals once again. Come on, come on. Yeah. No, would, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, I don't think the odds have been invented on Betfair that can uh, accommodate that. No. Uh, I think we'd have to get up into the millions of one to get that on board. But anyway, <laughs> look, it's nice to have Frankie and John back together. And um, Vanessa Ryle is with us as well. Vanessa, I'm amazed um, you yesterday didn't get kicked out in the big crowd. I'm absolutely stunned <laughs> and amused um, that the woman at Wimbledon that said she's had about 700 kids, mate, wasn't Vanessa Ryle and managed to stay in the crowd. How did that happen, I, Vanessa? Well, when, when the security guard came over, I just turned on the charm, you know, it was all okay. And I'm sorry, yeah. I'm okay, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for my behaviour. You, know, you know, the son found her. They did briefly chuck her out. She was she was a, a, really? 30, a 32-year-old um, lawyer, oh, God. blonde lady. She said uh, she said she only had a pims and a glass of rosé but the but the heat got to her and she said oh she was support, she was supporting Kyrgios. <laughs> Listen, I, I was immediately I was immediately expecting the camera to pan to Vanessa. She said, "I'm not moving, <laughs> mate. I'm not going anywhere." Uh, they let her back. They let the, tell you how civilized this is that they actually let her back in, gave her a bottle of water and let her back in after a while. How, <laughs> how terribly British. How terribly so, British. That guy is some tool, isn't he? I, I bet I bet when he goes to bed with his missus he he, he, he makes a like a standing ovation after his uh, uh, God. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I watch about five tennis games maybe a year and I watch the whole game lads the tree sees controversy creates cash I, yeah. I thought it was great viewing oh, oh, it's oh, clearly oh, an absolute it? wrong one but it's good viewing oh, <laughs> I loved it I loved it it's, it's the ultimate kind of situation of like every sport needs a villain and a character and he's yeah. that and, oh, he, he's, really he's, a, he's a match happen of tennis isn't he <laughs> Listen, I wouldn't give Chapman that much credit. At least Kyrgios is bloody talented. Has anyway, let's move on. on. Nick, Nick actually has some ability. Yeah, correct, correct. Right, let's move on back to the racetrack. And look, let's start off with Frankie and John then, Kev, because look, it's the reunited couple once again. All is fine in the world. Um, I know when Spiral got beaten in the Falmouth, but I mean, that aside... Uh, it was this a surprise to you? Was this always on the cards? What's your reckoning of it? I don't know. I think I think what we now know, kind of with all the information at hand, is like uh, John Gosling, he effectively thought he needed to kind of embarrass and call out Frankie publicly to kind of get the reaction he wanted because one assumes his his efforts in private weren't yielding results. So he, he felt he needed to escalate and make it public. And um, he's seemingly, um, you know, happy with the results that that got. So it was all a bit kind of unedifying for two, you know, tip top, you know, senior sports people, I suppose, if you want to call them that. But uh, hey ho, look, uh, complex personalities involved, and if it if it uh, if it got the results that, that suits the two of them uh, or suits Gosling, certainly, um, you know, hey ho, uh, you know, good inter interesting viewing, I suppose, if you're into that sort of thing. Bit of drama, yeah. bit of bit of controversy creates cash. You, uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> well, well, I don't think uh, TC. I don't think we can say that Inspiral getting beaten was Frankie Dottori's fault. In fairness. I'm surprised. I'm surprised he didn't get more criticism for the ride because he wrote her completely differently to what she'd be, why the, the way she'd been ridden at Ascot, and actually put really? her into the race like really early. And you did, know, yeah. I know, I know the old Joe Punter kind of uh, betting shop punters like ah, he gave her every chance. She hit the front, but Jesus, I thought he gave her a very 
a very kind of overly positive ride myself. But uh, there you go. That seems to be the minority view. Well, I guess okay, Tony. If you, if you go back to his and Spiral's previous win, she you know she she had to come through weaving through the traffic, which seems to suit her coming late. So on that respect, Kevin may be right there. But what was your assessment of Spiral getting beaten? Was it Frankie Tory's fault? Well, it could have been. Obviously, whenever horses coming back from a, from a big layoff after troubles, whenever they put up a really big performance on you know on the clock and, and form wise, there's always a chance of regressing next time. And obviously, the ground was a big factor. Um, it was rattling, rattling ground there, and they put a lot of water on, but it still wasn't enough. Uh, so yeah, it could have been one or two factors, couldn't it? Um, yeah, I bet, um, I bet, I bet Kevin, the Joseph O'Brien camp were quite happy that uh, that prosperous voyage didn't go over to France. Uh, God God bless Brexit, lads. Coming back to the Gosling, I was quite disappointed. It seems to be quite an orchestrated rather than just emotion on the day. Um, I'm actually reading Barney Curley's A Sure Thing at the moment, and there's a there's a passage in there that Barney Curley, when Frankie Dottori was having his drug problems and the news of the world was just about to expose him, Mm. he actually took him to John Gosden and John Gosden. There's a passage in there about John, John Gosling laying down the law, said 100% is needed and stuff like that. So while I was a big fan of John Gosling coming out on the day, I'm a little bit disappointed. You know, it was, it was like I said, it was a plan to kick up the arse. Uh, and he, he, can't, he, can't, he can't triple down with own spiral, couldn't he? he just could, even if he thought it was a moderate ride, he, he, you know, he, he's made his point and he seemed to well- but so he, maybe in this instance, maybe he tried everything else, TC, and you know, all that was left was the public admon- admonition for Ra- Frankie Dettori. Maybe he tried everything else, yeah. Well, I said if that, that's, that's the way you want to play it, it seems to have worked out all right. But I don't think any of them, I don't think John Gosling comes out particularly well as, as the story progressed. I mean, like on the day, I thought it was you know, not exactly box office, but you know, it's I'd, I'd love to see that kind of raw emotion and and, mm. and justified criticism coming out because as Frankie said he, he did add a the more rides you see from him at Ascot in Analyze and you know the poorer meeting he had but yeah I, I think we we can put that to bed and, and thankfully it didn't uh it didn't raise its ugly head again after Inspiral. No, and we'll come on to Rob Hornby, Vanessa, in a second, right? Because I do want to give him plenty of praise. But just to stay with Frankie, I mean, we did have a situation where himself and Ray Dawson were in the stewards' room after Maj won and Frankie on the zoo. And again, the Tory got a bit of criticism here for for not appearing to try to win the race in the stewards' room. Do you accept that that probably didn't try too much in the stewards' room? Or how do you kind of see what, what played out there? Yeah, it was an inter- it was interesting viewing. I love those stewards' room like look-ins I think they can be very interesting and in this case I just uh, I think Frankie Dettori in my view anyway was trying to just be as fair as he could I think he realized that on the day he was being by a horse that was obviously there was interference but ultimately the winner was going away at the line I think he probably knows you know he knows he's, he's been in enough stewards inquiries had enough interference have ridden enough of those sort of fillies in those sort of races to know that he probably ultimately wasn't a situation of she would have won without the bump. I don't think she would have won. She should have probably been second. And this is speaking from a Lazoo fan as well. I'm, mm. I'm a big fan of hers. But I think she was beaten by a horse that was going away at the line and was probably the better horse on the day. And he seemed to just accept that. And ultimately that meant in the stewards room, he played a pretty straight bat against Ray Dawson, who you know, it, was a, it was a big day for him. And uh, I think, yeah, I think Frankie went in there and just 
spoke his own truth straight played it didn't try to play up to it to try and win the race but i think that's probably because ultimately he knew he was on the second best horse in the race i, I think no 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 ultimately he knew he was he, if he was like giving it the big one side bin Saror was on it was going to be the <laughs> yeah well and obviously he rides a lot for him and Godolphin and he's trying mm-hmm. to get a good book so i reckon it was another trainer and another owner then I think he would have gone come out of more guns. Nah, he was nah, he was riding for his good, like in the colours of his a friend of his. Like I don't know, I don't think that would have come in. I actually, I'm talking, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, talking facts here. I actually looked at that race and I thought it's going to lose this. And I actually went on Betfair and I was laying 1.3, 1.26, and I thought it, I thought he, had, I thought she had every chance of getting chucked out. And when he goes in there. And like I said, there's some dispute whether it's even factually correct what he said. You know, he didn't, he didn't get a bump, etc. You know, it's it's shades of Paddy Brennan, isn't he? Uh, Aintree and the likes of that. But if you're the owner of that horse, um, uh, you know, it's. I think you want a bit more. Well, even if you'd want, you'd want to be represented a bit more strongly, you want a bit, bit you know, you want a bit, you know, less honesty. I mean, you don't have to go, you don't have to go down that road. <laughs> but it's not, it's not, it's not as if Frankie doesn't have form here in the stewards' room. I know she Murphy yesterday up on at the races in an interview he did with Boise and with uh, and with Chapman as well. Basically said, look, obviously what happened in the Commonwealth Cup with Dragon Symbol, he got absolutely eaten alive by the Tory in the stewards' room. So clearly, the Tory felt either he didn't want to pursue this as aggressively, or perhaps he thought. The race wasn't going to change ultimately. I don't know. Anybody seriously think if it wasn't Godolphin and Saibin Saror, he wouldn't have gone in a lot harder? I honestly, that never even came into my thought process. Well, you you want to? I'll put you on a cynical course. You can come around. I, I, do, <laughs> yeah. I do three day seminars. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, look on that. Look, because I do want to give a lot of uh, attention to Rob Horn because what a fantastic weekend. Obviously, you know, a double Group One. Um, and Kevin, like, you know, you could see, first of all, yesterday with, uh, with Alcohol Free, you could see the delight on his face, you know, after a, a brilliant performance by the Philly. And then obviously with Inspiral getting beaten, Prosperous Voyage as well, but equally as delightful for him. He, a fantastic weekend for Rob. Yeah, you'd be delighted. Like, it, it's, it's amazing the way this game can turn so quick. Like, he, he didn't just lose the ride um, in, in the Irish Derby, you know, Scope then got killed at home, you know, this is his first group one winner and a very important horse to him. Like, that would have been heartbreaking. You can imagine how, how how much on the floor he was after after that double whammy, and then before you know it, you know, literally a few days later, he's written two Group One winners. Uh, so it's great. Look, we we said at the time, like like it's no, it wasn't a great, it was a big disappointment to him, but it wasn't a great insult to him to be replaced by Colin Keane because Colin Keane's like a, a tip topper, one of the best jockeys in Europe, if not further afield. Um, but it, it, you know, when you face disappointment as a sportsman, it's about how you respond. And, uh, and he's come out and, and really um, advanced himself, I think it's fair to say, in pretty much everyone's eyes. Um, because, you know, whatever about getting jacked off the Irish Derby, you know, you will get a lot of sympathy for that. And to come and bounce back on the biggest stage twice in the space of a few days. Um, Rob Hornby's stock has never been higher and promises to go even higher soon. So delighted for him. Fair play. Yeah. And Vanessa as well. When you think about, I, I guess, the relationship that he's had with the Baldwin since he was 16 years of age, you know, it was brilliant that they could do the business for them. And then equally as well, <clears> after what happened with Stover, that he was able to do it for the Beckets as well. And so just a really tick both boxes for the weekend. He can be very happy with himself. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's been well covered now. He's done loads of interviews. Yeah. Um, he's he's great with the press. He's just a bit of a he seems like a complete gentleman. Um, and you know, he's he's done his time at the lower level meetings. He's really, you know, it was an interesting line. He said in one of the interviews, he said, you know, nothing in my career has ever happened quickly for me. Everything's kind of been a slow burn. And, you know, getting to this point of riding two group ones in the space of just over 24 hours is uh, sort of showcases that to the extreme because, you know, I've seen him on many a days at Lingfields and Wolverhamptons and those sort of meetings where whilst much bigger, high quality meetings are going on elsewhere and he's at those lesser meetings, but he's done his time. And he's got his experience. And now all of that is coming to fruition and good on him. You know, he's, he's, he's um, yeah, he's really done himself proud, I think, in all the aftermath of the Westover fallout. He just got, he put his head down, worked harder, accepted it. And then this to come around, you know, it's, it's racing at its best, throwing up a good story. Yeah, and it was great. And equally as well, alcohol-free. I listened to Andrew Bowling's wife. His first name escapes me. He'll tell me now in a second. But obviously, Annalisa. the fact Annalisa, yeah, that she, uh, that she obviously has now won a group one at two, three, and four years of age. But also, it was very much the owner's decision to kind of step her back and trip and and to keep faith with the the journey. So um, yeah. obviously, that's paid off, which is great. Yeah, I mean. On, and on that note, I mean, I think it was a terrific training performance. She's, mm. I know sort of two sides of the fence. I mean, one one angle is that that old adage that a, a really top class horse can win at any trip, roughly speaking. So, you know, in the ballpark anyway. And so maybe that rule applies to her because she is a top class filly, absolutely top class at two, three and now four. But I just think from everything we know about her temperament, you know, we see videos on social media courtesy of those who ride her and the yard and the sheen as well at home. She is, I mean, when I say so far from easy, she's she's a devil basically in the stable. Really? She's really, really tricky uh, in general. And for them to continue to get the best out of her, you know, there was no need to bring her back into training at four. She'd, she'd, she'd done everything that she needed to do, but it was really sporting of Jeff Smith and obviously and to take that decision to bring her back into training at four. And then it was all going wrong. Let's just be honest. Like she really hadn't shown up at all um, to anything like what we'd seen of her do previously. And it, it was well documented that it was Jeff Smith's idea to come back to sprinting, but to be able to, train her as a sprinter and bring her to the races and get her to put in a performance like that she was a market mover in the morning as well i mean on all known form this season she shouldn't have been what did she go up in the end 12s 14s 14, 14, 14, 14s in the end 14s yeah but she was yeah. she was flagged up on itv racing as a market mover from 20s into 12s and i think she went off 14s yeah. yeah so you know there was clearly a bit of support for her in there too I just think it was an excellent training performance all round. I, I have really. to. I, I've got to love Wayne Ryan's question, Tony, that you put out last night. There's a couple of crackers in here this week, by the way. But Wayne Ryan's alcohol-free. Why does she not get the recognition <laughs> she deserves? Is it her name? As most people hate non-alcoholic drinks. Beer doesn't even taste nice, really. But to drink it with no effect on you, sure, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> I had um, fair point. Well made. He's got oh, a point. Man. You know, he's got I a had, point. Um, I had five months off the drink earlier in the year. Well, last year and this year. I, I tried Heineken Zero, Guinness Zero, Gin Zero. Oh, and after, after about three days, I just gave up. I mean, Christ. Substitute. And, uh, not available. And, 
And to answer the more important part of his question, she doesn't get the recognition she deserves because we this is this is a racing problem. And Kevin Blake, I hope, is going to agree with me here. We have this ridiculous perception that everything should go unbeaten and then we can call it a really great or good horse. So then everyone's scared to lose their unbeaten tags. Whereas she is obviously, she's been beaten loads of times, but she's all also a top notcher at two, two, three and four. She's a really good horse and she doesn't get the recognition because she doesn't have this ridiculous, unsort of tried, unbeaten or only just beaten record. She's been thrown in various races, various trips, various ground. They keep rolling her out. And then she's won group ones for them. But because we like live in this world where everything has to be unbeaten or nearly unbeaten to be classed as a really great horse, we don't give her the recognition she deserves. Yeah, and I think yeah. a, a, a supplementary point onto that is that she's been beaten when kind of very well fancied in really high profile races a few times. Yes. And I think people yes. get sour about that. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, low, it lowers their standing. Like she was beaten fab and the I mean, guineas and the falmers and and, and of Kevin, like of course, that. and of course, the great example of that is uh hugh cahill calling nature yeah. trail useless because yeah. you know useless <laughs> i mean he's yeah. useless remember yeah. kevin yeah. he's useless yeah, yeah. <laughs> rubbish 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 horse thank you vanessa for finally coming around to my way of taking alcohol free by the way for the betfair spring cup is six to one from 25s if we're so inclined but tony calvin the performance of the weekend for me uh, was royal acclaim um watching back this morning now she's four to one for the nuntor and um, according to James Tate, the fastest that he has ever trained. I thought this was a really, really jaw-dropping performance. And uh, I think, yeah, even, even if she does shorten up for the Nunthorpe and going straight, like she will go straight, well, now she's going straight there, I will be all over her, I think. Yeah, that, like on form, she had no right to be 11-2, to two, let alone 11-4. to four, So It's only her second start on turf, wasn't it? They, they obviously knew they had something to go to war with because, like I said, mm. form-wise... She shouldn't have been anywhere near that price, but obviously very impressive. But I thought we saw a lot of good um, sprinters in action over the weekend. Um, if there is going to be a horse called Free, who, who could uh, win in group company, mm-hmm. I thought it was Harry Free over in um, over in France on Sunday. Uh, one of the one of the Ryan's was that uh, Ryan Moran? Ryan Moran's uh, rode it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this horse, Kevin Kevin put the horse up when uh, he won up off a mark of ninety seven, I think, uh, at York, and he absolutely bolted up. Go mm. and have a look at that run in France yesterday. Uh, I know it was only a listed company, but he's got some turn of foot, and he won that by three and a half lengths. And I went and had a look at some prices for the Haydock Sprint Cup, the bet sorry the bet for Haydock Sprint Cup, and he's twenty uh, he's twenty to one for that. And I'm telling you now, I mean, I don't know if he's going to go there. And sometimes, you know, that meeting can come up absolutely heavy. But it was quick last year, so he shouldn't make, you know, hard and fast rules about that. I thought he's a, I think he's a sprinter going places. I really, really do. I mean, if you're looking back to the Haydock, um, Clive Cox has got form with winning that with a three-year-old, Harry Angel, back in 2017. And yeah. I just think if you're looking for a sprinter from the weekend who could hit group one level from a low base, as with Royal Acclaim, I'd probably take. Um, I would t- obviously take Harry Free. Yeah, I mean, I, I was massively impressed. Well, I mean, I know, and like, geez, the Brits and the Irish cleaned up in France in Deauville yesterday as well. And while we're on it, TC, another of Ryan's um, rides for Aidan O'Brien, Tenebrism, I thought was absolutely brilliant as well yesterday. I mean, look, Ryan is in serious form at the moment. We've documented how well he's riding, but geez, he he was he was good yesterday, and <laughs> she was like a motorbike. He said, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, <laughs> 
with no engine, hopefully. Yeah. Um, no, I obviously didn't have much. They didn't have much luck in um, in um, America the night before, but obviously flew back and you know we had a treble there. So yeah, he's like I said, he's he's obviously uh, if the horse is good enough, he's good enough. But yeah, but what, what did you make of Tenebrism um, yesterday, Kev? Yeah, I'm impressed with her now. Um, yeah. Like, because look, she she'd been disappointed. New marker when things went wrong, she'd run a bit better at Ascot last time. Um, you know, back in trip, but you know, it'd be interesting to see what they do with her now, trip wise, because like she, you wouldn't be against trying a mile again. I don't think, and um, the program is much easier for these fillies if they if they can run over a mile. Um, like the matron is an obvious race there. Um, if they want to stay at seven, they have the you know the foray, which is a bit later. The Mars to Geese over six and a half. Like it, it gets a small bit tricky if you're seen as a seven furlong sort of specialist. But she was great here. Um, very good. Beat Life Infantry. Who I was delighted to see him run well. He's a horse I've liked for a while. Um, he ran very well, I thought. Um, and the sale kind of gives you gives you a nice guide in the form line. Given he's been, you know, he was stuck in the finish at the St James's Palace, albeit a messy renewal. And yeah, like it was, it was a, um, it was a big win for Aiden, who we know is a little bit light in the three-year-olds this year. So he would mm-hmm. be delighted to see this happen. And um, yeah, it wouldn't be so given given his maybe lack of ammo amongst the Coles three-year-olds. Um, she could potentially take on the the boys again later in the season. Okay, just I, a quick. I just, this, oh, sorry. One last yeah. thing on just Royal Acclaim. It was funny. I was at Bath when she made her reappearance on course for Sky, mm. and um, James Tate is a really good man in front of the camera. Great to interview. Just like an intelligent trainer, and always had something interesting to say. And we didn't have enough time that day that she ran to do anything pre-race. So, but I obviously get to talk when they're sort of down at the start for a minute or whatever. So I went over to him just to get a line off camera on her. And I could tell, even in my limited experience of interviewing him, that he was definitely a bit on edge about, like, you know, he, this was a, I could tell immediately this was an important horse. And mm. looking at her in the paddock that day, I mean, that was her reappearance run after that, such, such an impressive debut back when she was a two-year-old, beat all those good horses. But uh, I looked at her in the paddock. I mean, I had to triple check she was a filly. Like she is a like behind the saddle, she is just got a huge back end. Huge Fifteen engine. hands, would you say? She's yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get the measured in. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> Fifteen damn barbers. Fifteen damn barbers. Fifteen damn barbers with a guitar uh, on his head. Did you see our, did you see our crooning crooner there on Friday night? Absolutely locked out of his mind, putting up his own guitars. So. Dan, Dan, so small that was actually a banjo. <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop. A ukulele. A ukulele. A ukulele. That was the one I was looking for. <laughs> oh, God. Poor dad. He gets really oh, on this. Dad. Oh, anyway, Christ. yeah. He's I, in for I a good time Thursday. Go on. Yeah. No, no. So I just thought it was interesting. I'm anyway. And, uh, and then she, she won at Bath like she would have done in a hat canter, basically. So impressive. And then afterwards, I did get to interview James Tate and the relief. I mean, I could just tell, like, he was a different man to the person I spoke to beforehand. And he said then, I said, what's the plan? And he said, long-term plan, none thought. And obviously, he's still saying that now. This was way into the deep end. But it was just like a piece of work again. She got to the front too soon. She was mm. my performance of the weekend as well, Hugh. So Me, yeah, no, brilliant. Awesome. No, I thought she was so good. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to be all over for the long as well. And um, as I say, as, as James Tate said, We'll, we'll find out exactly how good she is. Okay, just a couple of more results from um, the weekend before we get into 
uh, what is coming tomorrow with the whip debate or pro cush debate, whatever you want to call it. But we should mention Jimi Hendrix. Um, I guess, uh, Tony, I don't know. You obviously didn't back him because he didn't put him up, but um, he ran a decent race in the Britannia and he won that uh, mile handicap pretty nicely at Newmarket, I thought. Yeah, just got up on the lines, you know, very well back, falls into five to two. I, the, one, the handicapper I was most impressed by, and he was actually smashed smithereen mm. market, was New London. Um, I think they're going to go Voltager and um, Ledger. Ledger after that. Um, I can definitely see that progressing into a Ledger horse. I mean, I mean that, that mark, they, you know, that obviously wing only come off a mark of 99, but obviously they were pretty devastated when he got beat by changing the guard at Chester. Mm. God, he looked impressive there, didn't he? He just like, no wonder why they're going straight to Group 2 company. And um, uh, the ledger is Westover. You've got the likes of that in there, but he wouldn't look out of place. Well, he wouldn't look out of place in the classic on the evidence of that. I mean, I was, some horses, obviously, you have to read a, a lot of improvement into, but it's not hard to see him progressing. Okay, and, and Isaac Shelby, we're told, is still physically improving, obviously, as you expect, given his age, but um, just about got the better of victory dance, a cracking finish to the race. Uh, the Jewhurst is on the cards, Kevin, might go, they're saying later on in the season, maybe to Paris for the Arc or even to the Breeders' Juvenile Turf, but um, obviously <laughs> options are wide open here. Maybe some horse to run in the Arc. <laughs> not the Arc, not the Arc weekend, obviously. For the Every time. Race. Every time. Will we take it? Will we take it on Luxembourg in the Arc? That's the way to announce it for, for horses that don't even qualify to get into the Arc. But on Arc weekend, they can go to Paris. <laughs> or they can go, oh, piss off. You know what I'm talking about. You know when but, you take your kids to a ballpark, about 60 year olds diving in there with them. You're in your age groups, you get them. Up, didn't you? Listen, I just like to mix things up. It's, I'm giving racing new ideas here. You need to go with yeah, yeah. Carhill and his 80 year old partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Isaac Bloody Shelby? Uh, yeah, I, I liked him though. I, th- I thought he was good. Um, Edge left under pressure, caused a bit of interference. But we, we don't mind that sort of thing in British and Irish racing, do we? Um, no, so he no. was good. He was good. Um, you know, Brian Meehan was, was there was quite big talk about him. And look, he's by night of thunder. You know, out of a heliostatic mare, which is a blast in the past. But um, you'd expect him on pedigree to like re- very much keep improving and be a better three year old. So um, for him to do this on a second start was pretty impressive. Now he looks a he looks a nice one. And great to see the Sangster colours uh, carried the big race victory. Historic colours. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, great stuff. Um, what price Isaac Shelby to win the ARC? The British Horse Racing Authority, gentlemen, to move things on before we get to the list of questions, um, are apparently going to crack down pretty hard <clears throat> at breaches of the whip rules uh, for major races. This story broke in the Daily Mail uh, by Marcus Townend um, last week, and it has gathered a bit of storm. So jockeys who commit breaches of the whip Rules will have men's disqualified. The BHA's whip consultation steering group are going to stamp out win at all costs mentality. I don't know what the hell that means. And any jump jockey who strikes their mount 12 times will be suspended for a month. Kevin, your initial thoughts, um, and we're preempting here what's going to happen tomorrow, but this seems pretty tight in the paper. And if these recommendations do prove to come, how do you feel about them? Um, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Look, I've had a problem with the whip rules for a long time, but um, just because of the 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 motivations for changing them. You know, you're either happy with the whip or you're not. And I think everyone seems to be happy with the whip itself in terms of, you know, its impact on horses, etc. But look, I think that putting in the number limit, which I think is fundamentally flawed, but I think it has promoted a better standard of riding. 
mm. um, in the UK and Ireland in that it makes jockeys less whip happy. Um, and look, if, you, if you're happy with those rules, um, as we keep saying in the context of the interference rules, if you want the rules to be followed, you need a heavy deterrent. And, and like disqualification, bear in mind now that, that the devil's in the detail here that you know the limit is seven and eight strikes for each code. And they're saying that disqualification would only kick in if there was 11 or 12 strikes. Um, so they're basically looking to bring in disqualification. We, we assume based on the reports. Um, you know, to take care of, uh, I suppose, severe breaks, breaches of the rules. And I'm not upset about it, to be honest. I think it would never happen um, or certainly be extremely rare, um, you know, because when you when you have a really heavy deterrent in place, it concentrates minds. And, um, you know, obviously the, the example everyone will talk about is uh, this year's Grand National, Samuel E. Cohen, 14 strikes. If those rules had been applicable, the Grand National winner would have been thrown out and there would have been absolute yeah. mayhem in the betting world and every other world, just the world in general, it would have been mayhem. But look, if that rule was in place, would Sam Willie Cohen have hit the horse 14 times, even though it was his last ever ride? Absolutely not. You know, because when you, to me, and that's my opinion, but when you have such a severe deterrent in place, um, the rule just won't get broken. So I think it will achieve its goals in that regard. Um, mm. Look, if it does get broken, it will be extremely messy. But in, in, in practical terms, I don't see it getting broken. What's that old famous Winston Churchill quote? Nothing concentrates the mind like the prospect of being hanged in the morning. Tony, from a betting perspective, <laughs> from a betting perspective, is this going to get messy? And like, is it going to get messy to the point where people are going to have to wait on payouts? I know yourself and Chris Poole, and we're talking about this briefly on Twitter at the weekend. But what's your view on, on the, I guess, the result of this on the betting payouts and ultimately how um, races are decided. We, we, we had the discussion on um, on text rather than Twitter, but mm. I think the first point about this, if you look at, well, obviously we don't know what's, we don't know what's been leaked to Marcus. We don't know the entirety of what's going to happen. It's clearly going to be a big document. If they spent over a year doing it with 16 people inputting into it, then it goes to BHA. It's going to be, it's going to be quite a, you know, a hefty tome, isn't it? I mean, the thing that stood out for me and it hasn't, I haven't really heard it discussed is mm. the line in Marcus's piece. This is only going to apply to major races. Now, if they're going to pick and choose, mm. uh, oh, you can go over 11 or 12 times. You won't disqualify you in what is a lesser race. Presumably they mean a whole profile race on ITV. Then it's going to get very messy indeed. That yeah, makes no sense it, really, does it? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you, like I said, you, like we said, with, with the, the Tory and stuff like that, Jockeys are going to get have to get used to really kind of like focusing on this. But if they only they only think they're going to have to focus on big races or major races, whether that are they, if that's true, are the BHA going to give a a, a list of races? Oh, you're right if you go over eleven or twelve in those. But you know, it doesn't anything. you know it doesn't make any sense. I can okay. see the argument sometimes where technology is employed in major matches across different sports because they have loads of cameras there, whereas maybe the lesser matches mightn't have that facility. But in racing, Tony. I mean, surely they can look back on every race and see. Yeah, but that, well, this is, this is what me and Chris were discussing. I mean, you, if, for example, the Grand National, Grand National is going to be one of the major races. It's mm. four miles plus whatever. If they're going to settle, uh, they, if, they, if they're going to actually disqualify horses, are they going to do it subsequent to that and let the betting stand? And that's another question we've got to answer. And if they are going to settle it um, and betting, you know, disqualify it for betting purposes then the stewards are going to go back and have a look at the all the winner and all the effective play sources before they settle the market. Now, they're going to have to... It's, it's all right for doing that in a mile race, a sprint, or whatever. But if you're <laughs> long races over jumps, then you're going to have to spend a lot of time doing that because 
there's also another factor is, I mean, if, for example, they settle a race and I'm on the second and I go back and have a look at the, uh, the, the jockey or the winner and I count 12 or 13 strikes and the BHA have come out and said, oh, no, it was only 10 or 11 or whatever. Am I going to be allowed to, uh, am I going to be allowed to object to that subsequently? It's, it's mm. obviously, like as Kevin said, the devil, we can discuss it all we want, but we won't know for another day or so recording this. We, there's a lot of questions to answer here, but it seems to me a delay in settlement is going to be inevitable. And we're told time and time again uh, by bookmakers, race clashes uh, in delays in settlement uh, is, is a massive no-no. And if you're doing that for big races on big race days, then you know, there's questions to answer there. Yeah. But I, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting in terms of, like, I assume they haven't just pulled 11 and 12 out of their backsides. Like, one would hope that in the in the body of this work that we're going to see tomorrow, that they the BHA will have the actual statistics to say, right, well, in the whole of 2021, there was only six cases of jockeys going over 11 or 12. You know, you'd hope that they have that yeah. sort of information because but, that would contextualize it and say, right, this is an extremely rare event, you know, without disqualification and with disqualification, we expect this rule just isn't and it, you know, broken and, and at all. all of this, but, they've, got, they've got the discretion to discard one or two yeah. rights. It's got to, so you're going to have a situation whereby they've got to ascertain if it's 11 or 12, then they have to go back and have a look and say, well, actually, yeah, that was a, that was a corrective measure for health and uh, for, for safety. So we'll, we'll knock that one off him. It could get very, very messy in in a very short time frame. I just wonder whether they're going to settle. Also, I just wonder if they're going to settle, um, you know, the disqualification and sorry, separate the disqualification from the betting. But then again, that's a that's a whole new ball game. But as a no, I I just like I maybe my mind is too simple, but I I don't understand why if the rule is eight and nine why we're talking about disqualification up at eleven or twelve. You either stick within the rules and keep the race or you break the rules and you get disqualified. And like, and the only asterisk there is yes. Like Tony's saying, if there has to be discretion for if specifically in a jumps race, a jockey has had to use a the whip for a corrective measure earlier on in the race, let's say. And obviously that is a tiny bit of a gray area, but other than that, I find it mad that we're talking about, I just, for me, it just should be as simple as, the rule is eight and nine. And yeah. if you go over eight or nine, you're going to lose the race. You I promise you, it wouldn't logic. happen. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, they, it would happen. Sorry. Sorry. It would happen. It would happen one, two, maybe three times. It would probably happen one time at the very, very top level with a high profile jockey. We'd all be up in arms about it. And then I promise you, it wouldn't happen again because yeah, jockeys I'm, I'm, can count. They're not stupid. Stop pretending they are. They can count. Okay. So um, it, it would happen, but that would then be it. And everyone would learn and we'd move on. Yeah. I think maybe there's some logic to it. In fairness, Vanessa, that like maybe they're seeing bringing in the, the disqualification at 11, 12, just as an, kind of an introduction to the concept. And in a year's time, oh, they yeah. might they might say, okay, we're going to wind <laughs> that. We're going to wind that disqualification down to seven and eight. Because we live in this nannying state where we've all just got to have to have everything sort of gently introduced because God forbid if anything came in heavy and hard and we all had to abide by the rules. But just, just, before, before we move on, what do we think about this only introducing it for major races? Oh, sorry, no, that, sorry. That and no, my that, other yeah, rant, that makes no sense. And my yeah. other rant on that, sorry, my other rant That's on true, that, of course. whilst I'm on it, 
it's just like if that is true and this is all speculation because we're going on the leaked whatever but if that is true again just like how how can that be it just has to be a simple eight or nine in every race in every in in, in every racetrack jumps and flats it just just keep it really simple it's actually also not fair on the jockeys are they riding to the races thinking is this a big enough meeting that if i go over eight or nine to 11 or 12 am i going to be disqualified who do i check with to check out how big a meeting this is it's just baffling it's actually also so unhealthy for the jockeys on all jokes aside just the level that like they're gonna have to learn to ride within the rules they're gonna have to learn to do that and so it's very unfair to say at Wolverhampton go for your life honey just like Mm. get the shillelagh out all you like from the home turn but if you're at Goodwood on a big day don't do that it's very unfair like they're gonna have to adjust their trade accordingly I just think oh god the gray areas yeah Yeah, and and just just a broader point before we move on BHA really really leaky another one (laughs) another leaky they are leaky they are leaky leaky. I was actually looking I was actually looking down the 16 people on the panel and they're linked to town in and I was thinking yeah he's my favourite yeah he's my favourite but then but then it obviously (laughs) goes to BHA and it might not be anybody on the 16 strong panel uh, in Mm. BHA Anyway, as you say, this um, hopefully we'll have confirmation tomorrow on this and uh, we'll see what way they go. But uh, it looks like that story in the mail is pretty tight, so we'll wait and see. Yeah, it's confirmed. I, I, tell you, I tell you, Hugh, I hope they, um, I hope once they get the whip sorted out, this has been ongoing. Geez, I hope they, they go after the interference issue with as much rigor and aggressiveness as they've pursued the whip because that's got there's a, a hell of a contrast. In, in willingness to tackle the issue there from, from the whip to interference. So it'd be fascinating yeah. to see if they move on to that next. Watch this and Brand, Brand, Brandon Shea alluded to it yesterday on uh, on Sky Sports Racing, actually. The good news is there's a panel of one there, and that one is you, Kev. So yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't that be yeah. nice? It won't take a year, it'll take about a nanosecond. <laughs> Screaming into the vortex. Okay, lads, we're going to... On to the listener questions that we didn't cover. Um, Dave Parry. And Dave, I, I, I'm, I'm loath to start with this one. I, I really hope it's tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm going to read your question as you've written it. Um, now that Gosden to Tory ship is steadied, I do wonder whether, with different names of the protagonists, whether more would be made of the tactic of using all media channels to question a jockey's riding decisions, professionalism and lifestyle. Bullying, question mark. I don't know if that's tongue-in-cheek or not, Dave. I, I sincerely hope it is. It's, it's, pre- it's pressure. I call it pressure. You know, it's, it's a man management technique, I suppose, isn't it? You know, you call out someone publicly um, in an effort to get a desired response. You know, one assumes, as we as we mentioned, like one, one, assuming that every other yeah. avenue has failed. It's not um, no, I, bullying I Tory. Though. I wouldn't be using the bullying word. Uh, pe- people uh, like to, people to, like to fair, win that out nowadays, don't they? To be fair, if someone five foot taller than you was, uh, was giving out, you might feel a bit intimidated, you. <laughs> Listen, I feel bullied every day on this bloody podcast. If I'm anyone's entitled to use the word bully, it's me, but I don't. Yeah, but you're right for bullying. You're just right Isaac for Shelby for the art. Especially, especially after he's dyed his hair to blonde, he is right for it. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't dyed my hair. The it's the sunshine. He obviously looked at you, Vanessa, from the other week and said, "Oh yeah, I fancy that shade." Yeah, <laughs> damn right. I, there's just no gel in it. Just, oh, I feel bullied. Okay, Dave, let's 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 file a let's file a lawsuit here, right? 
But you go for the gods and I'll go for the lads. Right, Dave Brown says, after Pipe Piper and Aintree, why do jockeys need to attend inquiries anyway? In motor racing, they don't ask the drivers what happened and decisions made quickly. No jockey would also speed process up for on-course punters, getting their money as decisions made quicker. I totally agree. Why is there a need for a jockey in there? Like, why can't we just <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've, uh, we, Well, we've seen some cases in the past where jockeys who, you know, English wouldn't be their first language are in there with insurance inquiries trying to make a case you know, against a, a fluent English speaker, which obviously puts them at a serious disadvantage. Look, the way in my view, and this has been the same for years, the only question a jockey needs to be asked going into a steward's inquiry is, is there anything you can tell us that won't be evident from the footage we're going to judge this case on? And if the answer is no, it says, okay, thanks very much, stand out there, we'll let you know what we decide. Because you've all the angles, you've all the footage, you're supposed to have all the knowledge and skill to assess yeah. these things. And uh, to me, that would be that'd be much better because you're you're giving by by listening by giving them the chance to to make their case. Like you're favoring the better speakers, you know, the the guys that can put their case, the guys that can lie better, you know. And that, that's not necessarily fair, I don't think. There's only yeah. one question I would ask them: Did you back the winner or the runner-up? <laughs> <laughs> George McMahon says I'm a big fan of Jason Weaver but he's consistently referring to gelding ops in ITV as the cruelest cut of all what we need when trying to attract new audiences with little knowledge of the sport uh, that wouldn't put me off that wouldn't put me off for Christ's sake oh, it wouldn't put me off I tell you the last time he said it I, I almost walked away from the sport the last time I heard the cruelest <laughs> part because that's just uh, that's horrific horrific use of language and I, I almost switched off. I almost turned my hand to soccer because I just, I just, they wouldn't say such a thing in soccer, would they? <laughs> Oh, the balls. Relax, right. we're all grown ups. Yeah. yeah. Andy Cummins says the lack of five furlong options always baffles me. Dramatized, who quite clearly is at home over five furlong, will have no choice but to step up to six furlongs in order to stay in her own age group. Why is the Nunthorpe the only top level option? Surely a five furlong group one for two year olds should exist. That's an interesting one, Andy. Yeah, we have we have some group twos there. Um, but look, it's a very fair point because of course there are like multiple five furlong options in open company you know you're non-torp you're abbey you're flying five etc um so it surely makes sense that every every group one option you have an open class you should have group one options um in the the, the underage divisions if you want to call it that so yeah, i think it's a perfectly fair point yeah okay john max says sunday racing i know it's been done before but after a glut on Saturday, we're served up that yesterday. It's so <laughs> wrong. <laughs> you just put this on repeat every year. You know, people complain about Super Saturday, um, a.k.a. Silly Saturday, and it's followed <laughs> by a quiet Sunday. Uh, it doesn't make a jot of sense. It obviously makes sense to the race courses, but it's just another example of kind of British racing self-interest uh, at the expense of every other interest group. It's interesting, uh, because know. of the race course attendance figure that came out today. It was down, racing. yeah. And obviously, I think uh, Ascot was four thousand down. Chester was five thousand down. If you if you're getting that on a Saturday, uh, mm. they, obviously the increases the argument for the Sunday, but also could lessen it. If they're not getting that many on a Saturday, they put it on Sunday. They might get hardly any. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I yeah. just on this point as well, Gary DC says another example of the madness that is fixture planning in the UK. One week too much good quality racing. The next highlight. On the Saturdays, a group three at Newbury and a group a grade three at Market Raising. Yeah, it's, uh, it does seem that that needs to be looked at. Um, some of the times it just get weekends like that or like that, though. Anthony Byrne says, where does the term nap come from? It's bandied about like it's self-explanatory, but to people new to racing, it must be totally mystery lingo. Interested oh, in the uh, etymology of the word. Where does yeah, that I, come from? I think I'm right. Uh, I know it's so, something similar to this anyway. I think it was to do with um, like French currency back in the day, the highest unit was a Napoleon, 
So yes. to say to say your nap is basically your highest value coin. So that's it's something true. along those lines. I, um, yeah. My dad used to play Napoleon on a Sunday um, after church and stuff like that. So um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's become it would become common usage very very quickly. Apparently, Dan Barber's trying out for Napoleon in the new panto coming up. <laughs> well, all he needs is a ridiculous hat. It's a prototype. Poor Dan. While my guitar gently cries its feckin' eyes out. What will be, will be. Can you discuss the last race in Leprechaun Thursday where Joseph Bryan's second string was back tens to threes and given a free lead to the point where the odds on Fav didn't make a move until the leader was 20 clear in the straight? To be fair, this was shocking viewing and betting patterns should be looked at. Yeah, I was surprised there wasn't a serious inquiry, to be honest with you, because it did look bad, but it was just a broken race. Like, the, the eventual winner was the lone pace in the race. Um, it was for amateurs. John Gleeson jumped out, didn't even go quick. You know, the finishing speed of the race was 110. Um, but the, the problem, really, what broke up the race was the jock in... Um, on the riding the horse that sat second, he was having only his second race course ride, and he was just basically putting and dragging out of his one, taking the pull the whole way, and it just served to break up the race and create separation. Um, the Favo Kita Sushi was to be ridden quietly, that's the way he's ridden, and really the race was over as a contest down the back straight, unfortunately. Um, now, not unfortunately, if you back the winner, um, but there you go, amateur race. Uh, a much more extreme example happened in the equivalent contest about 10 years ago, a horse called Writer's Block, um, ridden by an inexperienced amateur, went off and, you know, went a furlong in front and never came back. I think all the jocks in behind got suspended that day. Um, so I was slightly surprised that the stewards didn't have a look because, it, like, like we always say, if it didn't look great, you know, the stewards should be having a look and asking questions. Um, you know, for me, there, there was nothing to see there as such, bar maybe a couple of the rides from those in behind. But um, there mm. you go. Look back. Okay. It was just a, just a, bro- properly, just a broken race. If you're not looking properly at that, you're not doing your job. When there's there's a, there's a very similar example. I think it was at Chepstow, wasn't it, Vanessa? Yeah. Uh, recently um, over here. And I think the stewards did look into that. I'm not sure they took any action against the jockeys. Again, I think it was an apprentice race or an amateur riders race. But you've just got to show the public that you are aware uh, of what's going on uh, and and how it does look. If, yeah, that's all punters ask for. If they've looked into it, betting pounds if needed. But interview with the jockey saying what's going on. That's 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 the minimum you should be asking for in circumstances like that. Absolutely. Okay. And last question then from Ian says, I was too late with this last week, but do people take any notice of racing post ratings? I would imagine most people put more stock in official or time form ratings. Do RPRs serve a purpose? Genuine question, as I don't know. I never look at them, but... You know, I, 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 you know, I use the racing post, so I look at the ratings. You know, if you have access to time form, you use them. It's, it's personal preference. They're all just someone's, someone's opinion expressed in numerical form. Yeah. So it comes down to how much you rate them. You know, I think they got three or four handicappers there. Some of them were there when I was when I was at the post in the late nineties. Uh, Paul Curtin, okay. Steve Mason. So yeah, they're experienced people. It's like anything. You know, people use time form. People don't use time form. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. We got. Um, I've got enough time for that Epsom fight uh, question. I, I have got some information about that. Ooh, I, oh, yeah. was, there any fo- was there any footage? I didn't see any footage of it. No, um, I actually know, uh, know someone who was there. Apparently, Ooh. it was very, very Ooh. naughty. Apparently, okay. it was six on one at one point. Ooh. Oh, then no. they nice. jumped in. But then oh. uh, one of them was uh, got a proper high in, apparently, and one was actually hospitalised. Um, oh, he, God. He got left out later that day. Apparently, he could have got even more nasty because apparently if a, 
if the six bullies didn't do the job on one person, they had eight of their mates apparently waiting for a backup. I think it's a local bit of a local feud. And uh, but do, do, we, do we know anything about the demographics, TC? Like younger lads, older lads? I didn't. I didn't ask about that, but uh, apparently one of the it was a younger guy who got set upon, and I think I think it might have been his dad that went in to help him. Oh and, Lord! Uh, it just it sounded well, good. Someone gets hospitalised and thankfully got let out later that night. It just goes to show you. I mean, but we do kind of like take these things a bit lightly. But that's yeah, no, that's terrible. That's yeah. terrible. That was imagine, imagine you're there and whatever about the, the the people involved. Imagine you're there with your kids and you just happen oh, to kind of get, get stuck in the crossfire there through well, misfortune. Like that's a bad experience. It wasn't. Obviously, we saw that sand down video, but it, 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 this wasn't a handbags uh, scenario by the sounds of it. Apparently, it was it was oh, pretty, pretty grim. It wasn't premeditated. It's just that someone saw somebody and then they decided to send, to send on him. Okay. All right. Okay, guys. Um, that is us done for today. Apologies sir, for ending a bit of a somber note, but look, I guess that's the reality of it. So I was going to tell you that I'm thinking of starting my own ratings system, but uh, maybe that'll keep for another day. I'm not sure that too many would subscribe to it. I thought, thought, you were going, thought you were going to announce that you're, uh, you're, you're changing careers. You've been upset by the, the terminology and the, you do use the language yeah. in racing and you're yeah. going to switch careers to a Tommy Fleming impersonator. Tommy oh, Fleming, boy, yeah. that's it. Me and Tommy. My, you know, Google my, him, English listeners. You my former brother-in-law I mean. used to call me Tommy Fleming as well. He says you're the head of him. Jesus, the worst thing I ever saw in my life and I had to go is that picture Christ almighty but I can't even sing properly as well Christ anyway uh, Vanessa have a great day um, at work T- TC as well mind yourself and Kevin as well thank you for your contribution we're back with Race the Only Better on Thursday to look ahead to next weekend until then enjoy yourselves and take it easy